What is holy in your life? If you could imagine actually being in the presence of God, what would be around you? What would you hear and what would you see? What would it feel like? What would the sensation be like if you were actually in the presence of God? Do you imagine that you would be standing in a grand throne room or so immersed in light that you were blinded? Our imagination of the holiness of God is heavily shaped by our understanding of God's nature. Yet, ultimately, the nature and design of God is not one that is dependent on our own expectations, but rather it is determined by the form of God. It is determined by the nature of God and not by our own fantasy. The people in the Tower of Babel, they wanted to imagine, <clears throat> they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to imagine a version of heaven that was other than what it actually was. They wanted to be a great power and that their name, that it would sit and reside over all of creation. They wanted to make a new name for themselves, not the name that God had given mankind early on, but rather a new name that would be revered by all. The builders of the Tower of Babel, they want to live in a fantasy where creation stands before the hosts of heaven and they find that the name residing over all of creation is not God, but instead it is the new name of humanity. Ultimately, the presence of God is not a fantasy but it is a beautiful reality beyond our power. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and we are produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. And I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And today, we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. And this is part two in a two-part series where we're looking at the Tower of Babel. And we're examining the morality built in this. It's an interesting text that is positioned in Genesis 11, and it brings us to a place where we find, well, a lot of confusion, as the name Babel and Balel in the Hebrew might suggest. So as we read through Genesis 11 and examine the Tower of Babel, there are three aspects of sin of humanity that I want us to focus on, because quite clearly when you come to the Tower of Babel, it is judged to be guilty of sin. And as we come there, there are three aspects of the sin I want us to contemplate. So, the first of that is idolatry. Humanity desires for itself the perspective of heaven, where humanity is at the top of creation's hierarchy, deciding for itself what is good and holy. The second aspect of that is disregard. Humanity has no fear of God, and they do not even speak any reference to God when they make their plans to build a tower to the heavens. Moreover, they cannot even be bothered to contemplate how they will take God's throne from him because they do not even acknowledge his rule. The third aspect of this is the desire for fantasy over reality. Humanity wants to live in a fictional reality. They invest all of their resources in trying to reach a fantasy. And they think that the throne of heaven is an empty seat which can be open for them to claim where it's just this empty throne room, an empty seat that the first one who gets there, they can have it as their own. And they want this throne of heaven where they can name it under their own and they can stake their flag there and have power over all creation. And today, we're going to emphasize this last aspect of the sin, the desire to live in a fantasy and to stay there, to never elevate oneself beyond that moment of fantasy, to live in the fantastic. And when I say fantastic, I don't mean something we're enthusiastic about, but something which is clearly fictional and is clearly disconnected from reality, something that can never really be reached. It can never be fully experienced. It can never actualize in the way that life actually can. 
And I want to remind us that God does call us to the adventure of holiness, to the adventure of life, where we go up. We do. We do leave our parents' house. We go and we live. We we become family units. We get married. We have children. We create a new generation. There's this call to adventure, which is very primal to the human condition that is found early on in Genesis. And those living in the Tower of Babel, they've kind of forsaken that. They kind of want to stay in this moment where they never really grow up. They never really face the world as it actually is. Instead, they've just invested in a fantasy where they can reach something which doesn't exist in the way that they think that it does. So today we're going to emphasize the notion of fantasy. But before we go any further, let's actually read the story in its entirety. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. So if you would want to follow along, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis 11. But I'm going to be reading from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a land in the plain of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, let us burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Verse 4, then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the whole face of the earth. In verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and said, Look, which the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And in verse 6, the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. And in verse 8, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Verse 9, therefore it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. All right, so what we find happening in this passage is that humanity is judged as being guilty. They're guilty of a sin, and as we understand sin, it can be something where one misses the mark. Another definition of sin is being curved in upon oneself, and we can clearly see how humanity is curved in upon oneself. And then there's the, the definition of sin, which is a transgression against a known law of God. And it's a willful transgression. They're doing something against a law of God. Humanity unmistakably found themselves wrapped up in sin. And if you read the story of Babel, there's no heroes, no villains. There's no individual names of people, although there are individual names of locations and geography. We do get important names here. But as we come to it, it's not about specific individuals and specific villains you might find in many other stories, but instead it is about the spirit of humanity. And humanity has fancied for itself a new reality where they're going to enact a sin. Now, one of the things fascinating about this sin is when you look at the three definitions of sin, they actually break these down quite a bit. They're clearly missing the mark in being people who want to live as God's servants. As you'll notice, when they want to build this tower, there's no reference to God or his position in creation. They only want to do it in their own name, which takes you in that second definition of sin. They're curved in upon oneself. But then the notion of a willful transaction against the known law of God, it's as if humanity, they do not want to be called out on adventure. And they've kind of misrepresented the notion of being called to adventure. They say, oh, well, we'll be scattered. 
I find it so fascinating that they preemptively know the consequences of their sin, but rather than just not sinning, they decide to try to design the sin in such a way that it's a consequence-free sin. You know, it's the diet sin. But ultimately, this only fails, and they end up with the exact judgment they were trying to avoid. But humanity has unmistakably fancied for itself a new reality. It's a fantasy. It's a fiction where their name is above all other names. And quite literally, they want to elevate their name above all other names. And again, they're doing this with the literal construction of a tower. Humanity has confused its disregard with God with a false regard, with a false reality where God would not judge them. Again, I want to reiterate that. Humanity, they confused their disregard for God with a false reality where God would not pay attention to them. And a lot of people do this in our day and age. People say, well, I, I don't ascribe to your faith. I don't ascribe to your God. Therefore, your God has no power over me. That's what they're doing in the Tower of Babel. They can't even be bothered to contemplate God's existence. And they think that because of that, there must be a reality where God does not care about them. But unfortunately, that reality is false. It's not real. In spite of their disregard for God, judgment does come, and it comes in the manner that they're trying to avoid. The builders of the city were found guilty of wanting to make a name for themselves. And when looking at the sin, it's important to note that it wasn't the building of the tower that is judged guilty, but rather the motive for building the tower. Throughout the history of God's people, there have been cities, there have been magnificent pieces of architecture that have been constructed, but they were not found guilty in the same way that the Tower of Babel was. This is because things like the temple in Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself, the walls around Jerusalem, the, the wells which are given special names, the, the shrines which are erected, even the tabernacle. There are beautiful works of art which have been manifested in the physical world around us as buildings, shrines, and other assorted pieces of architecture which have always been essential to the people of God and they were never judged as guilty or sinful. But the motive behind them is what found their innocence or guilt. The Tower of Babel, it's not done to honor God or give any recognition to God. For that matter, it's not even giving recognition to another pagan idol or pagan deity that people might imagine in the heavens, but instead it is to the idol of humanity themselves. They are wanting to make a name for themselves. They don't want to be brought closer to God, but instead they want to give power to humanity by having their name be elevated above all other names. And we must realize that there really are power in names. We live in a day and age where people water down language a lot, um, and there's always the push to water down language more and more. Anthony's always aggravating me. He's got this meme that shows Harvey Dent from the, the Dark Knight Wright movie, and it says, instead of saying, one either dies a villain or dies a hero or lives long enough to become a villain, he always aggravates me with this one that says, you either die using bad language or you live long enough to become a grammar Nazi. Well, there, there may be some truth to that, and the older I get, the more I realize how important words are. And instead of lowering the bar for words and how we think, we need to elevate the bar. Language itself is not a matter of eternal value, but oftentimes it is the field, it is the arena where we play out matters of eternal value. We discuss, we have discourse. Words can be persuading, they can bring you know, good moments of, of prosperity to people if they're inspired by the right words, but yet they can also be the arena where people are persuaded to do great and evil things. It's very bizarre, the world of words. And in the Tower of Babel, names play an important role. And throughout human history, there has been great power in names. And we live in a day and age where people are kind of taught everything's a social construct. Words have no inherent meaning. There's no power to words. There's no inherent objective use of language. Think however you want, whatever way you want to interpret something, that's fine. Just do it. 
And that's really unfortunate because we've let down our ability to think critically. And the people in the Tower of Babel, again, if you read Scripture as Scripture is outlined in chapter 10, there's already other languages, but yet in the Tower of Babel, there's only one common language permitted with only a certain set of words. They're not allowing people to think clearly. And ironically, the inability to think clearly is what has constructed this tower, and it has, well, unfortunate motives. But let's talk about names, because there is great power in names, and people have long understood this to be true. If you say one's name out loud, well, people generally respond. If someone is asleep, you say their name, they generally wake up. If you say the name of an item out loud, people will generally think of that item. It will be conjured up in your mind as if some incantation has been said. For example, if I say the word turtle, very likely you will imagine a small shelled reptile. Or perhaps you might think of a sea turtle. You might think of a little box turtle or a terrapin. But the chances are, if someone says the word turtle, you're going to think of a shelled reptile that kind of looks like a helmet walking around with legs or fins. People of the ancient world, they understood that if you knew someone's name, you could tap into the power of that name. If you knew the name of a demon, then you could tap into it. You could have control over it. If you could have a name for God, then you could have some power over God. In our personal lives, we know how much this can be true. If you ever watch children, they tend to irritate one another by calling one another names. And even if a name is ridiculous and obviously untrue, but one child gives it to another, you can think of all the names that children mock one another with. You notice the mocked child usually gets pretty irritated. And if you were a child who was more often given nicknames than you were giving out, you knew how frustrating that was. But even with children, they understand that names can have power. And even if you give someone an obviously untrue nickname, a lot of times children will get really mad about it, and this even rolls over into adulthood. For those of you who enjoy C.S. Lewis and you've read some of his fiction, the fictional novel The Paralandra, we find a devil-like character who takes pleasure in saying the name of the main character. This devil is figure, he realizes that he doesn't want the main character to sleep. And he's even happy to do a childlike torment where at night, while he doesn't want to kill him, he just wants to torment him, he just says the main character's name over and over again. And he just does this to keep the main character from sleeping. It's just recognizing that I have enough power to wake him up, to bring his senses, to cause a little bit of an adrenal response, and it's childlike torment that even the devil wants to use against us. Throughout history, we hear names like Nebuchadnezzar, or more modern names like Hitler or Stalin, and they invoke thoughts of wicked, tyrannical rulers. But to contrast, we hear names like Moses, George Washington, or Winston Churchill, and we think of people who have brought liberty in the great face of trial. Names have great power in our mind, and humanity wants a name which will be revered. When all of creation, when the audience of the heavens and earth hears the name of man, they want all of creation to have a response that recognizes the power of humanity. They are building this tower so that it will show all of creation who it is that sits on the throne of heaven. But it's not going to be God that they want to glorify, but rather it is themselves. They have disregard for God to the fact that they think that his throne in heaven is empty. But their goal is a fantasy. It is a fictional reality where the throne of heaven is a vacant seat waiting to be claimed. Humanity wants to be known as the ruler of heaven with a name that, after all fear is had in it, that nothing more can top it. They want to be known as nothing more than the rulers of all. But this is sad because it is a fantasy of the mind. 
They desire to live in a world of fantasy, and the desire itself to live in a world of fantasy is to be pitied, because it's a sad existence. It's not real. It's like Peter Pan in the world of Neverland. It's not real, and it's not a place of value. It's like being in a dream. One wants to, to enact a, a great desire of theirs, and if they do it in a dream, a lot of times people may want to you know, sleep in a little bit to stay in that dream, but it's never really fulfilling because it's not the real thing. People, they have their fantasies. They doze off when they're, they're bored in a moment, and they might go into a daydream while they're hopefully not driving down the road, but while they're sitting in a car or something like that. People often want to live out fantasies, and the tragedy of that is that they're not real. And part of the tragedy of living in a fantasy is that it causes people to empty out their memory. It causes them to diminish their self-awareness, and they forget their role with actual society and the real world around them. Those in the Tower of Babel, they have forgotten an important aspect of the book of Genesis. Humanity didn't even need to make a name for itself because they already had a name. This is where things get fascinating, and this is where the great tragedy of fantasy is and the great beauty of reality comes in. Humanity seems to have forgotten in Genesis 11 that God had given them a name. And not only had they been given a name, but they had also been given a position. They were given all of the earth to dominate. And yes, the word dominate is correct. They were given the earth to have dominion. Man had been privileged with naming all the creatures in the earth. They had been given a beautiful opportunity to name all the creatures of the earth. But yet, they were not permitted to name themselves, nor was man tasked with giving the name to God. And when you look at the grand scope of all the animals, all the creeping things that creep upon the earth, all the creatures that God has made, they're given dominion over them all. Again, this is not dominion over the heavens. This is not dominion over all of the universe and all of creation. But it is dominion over all the creeping things on the earth. And that's, there's a lot of creatures in that. Uh, you know, we, we look in even the modern day and age, we don't even know how many species there are that walk the face of the earth. People are always finding new species of things. To think being there in early moments of creation, God coming to man and saying, I want you to name all of these with me. I'm going to call you, Adam and Eve, you're going to be the kings and queens of old, and your, your whole race is going to be the kings and queens who are my servants. And yet they messed it up pretty quickly. The fantasy of what could be rather than the beauty of what actually is often comes to warp people's minds. Now, this happens for a lot of different reasons, but it is always tragic when people forget the wonders around them. They forget the hope that is found and eternal hope that is found in God because they would rather be wrapped up in a fantasy that would separate them from God. They forget the dominion they have, the authority that they have, which is greater than the authority you have in Neverland. It's much better to be a servant of God and a king and queen of earth rather than the master of the universe in a fantasy that doesn't exist. But those in the Tower of Babel, they would rather be the rulers of all in a fictional world than they would actually be those having dominion over the earth in the real world. And that's a really tragic thing because they've spent all of their time, money, resources, their livelihoods in getting all of these resources together to build this city. The fundamental facts of reality is that you can't change the name that God gives you. When I say that, I'm not talking about whatever your specific name may be, like I'm Dylan and Anthony is over there running the sound and audio on the computer right now. Those are things which have been given to us by our parents. But yet, the name of humanity, the role of humanity, the fundamental design of it is something we have little input on. You really can't change your DNA, the circumstances of your birth. You can't really alter history. You can alter your perception of those things, and you can fix your hair up a little bit. You really can't do much 
to change the circumstances of your existence. But Adam did not ask for this. And God did not come to Adam and say, would you like me to redesign you to your most suited preference? Instead, God came to him and blessed him. And God blessed him with a name, a name that came with it a unique position in the hierarchy of creation. But yet, the fantasy created by the builders of Babel seek to alter this. They're not happy with it. They've got so wrapped up with this desire for this heavenly perspective that they have forgotten that they already had a name. Not only do they consider the throne of heaven to be empty and forget the name God had given and the dominion associated with it, but they also had twisted the innate call to adventure into something repulsive. In verse 4, there's that moment where you hear the builders, they say, well, we need to do something because if we don't, we'll be scattered all over the earth. And what is so fascinating about this is that the concern predates the scattering that happens as a result of their sin. They're anticipating the consequences of a certain sin. God calls his people to grow up and embrace the truth of creation. And God does not scatter people without reason. But he does call us to the adventure of holiness. He does call us to the adventure of life. And even built within Genesis is this calling to go out, be fruitful, multiply. Now, it's not a deep fleshed out, and you know, it's not a, a 300 page document on the call to, to life, but it is an innate desire that God has planted in humanity to go be fruitful and multiply, to spread about the earth, to have dominion over it. They rejected this. And not only have they rejected it, they've done something which is actually pretty common in the world. And we often describe this as being sophistry or fake news. Somebody will do something that causes a reaction, and then they blame the reaction on what they did in the first place. They, they swap the timeline. It's sort of like someone showing up to an event, starting a fight, and then looking, pointing their finger and saying, look, they're violent over there. Or someone coming in, like children do when they pester, coming in and, and punching another child. And then when the reacting child punches back, they say, oh, look, mom, dad, that one hit me. And they kind of pretend like they didn't start the whole incident. That's what's going on in the Tower of Babel. They have basically conflated the consequence of their sin with the reason why they are going to sin. They have twisted the timeline. They have taken the innate call to go out and be fruitful, multiply, to go out throughout the earth, and they've painted it as, as if it is something that is repulsive. The call to be mature and to grow up is a beautiful good, and I'm using good not in the way that we kind of typically do in English and we say that something that is positive is good, but something which is of transcendental virtue. It is of the essence of God. It is good. But it appears that the Tower of Babel and its builders, they conflate a desirable good with the consequences of sin. And we find that this happens a lot in fantasy. The anticipation to paint desire and sin, things that are bad and wicked and evil, to paint them as if they are desirable and then to preemptively say that no, a, a good is undesirable, is pretty common in the world. It's the way that sin and evil works in a lot of places. In anticipation of their desire to sin, the builders of the Tower of Babel, they would rather try to create a world where there's no consequences to their sin rather than choose not to sin in the first place. They create a fantasy where the good of being fruitful and multiplying is undesirable and it is conflated with being scattered. When we invest in fantasies that alter the truth of reality, we often twist things that are good into being undesirable. And in the world of fantasy, we often twist the tendency to think things which are not good and say, well, these are highly desirable. It's virtuous to do things which are not good and unvirtuous to do things which are good. 
It's often one of the rules which people implement into their fictions and fantasies. Not all the time, but it's certainly a hallmark of a lot of sinful fantasies. Perhaps the temptation to create fantasies where true goods are undesirable and things fundamentally not good or desirable is a mere product of our fallen nature. Perhaps it's a more sinister trap to try to manipulate people. Either way, it is unmistakably part of the fantasy. Sufferings in life oftentimes make this easier. Sufferings in life are like gases in a container. They expand to fill the entire volume of whatever they're in. And the people that are suffering in temptation to live in fantasy, this has caused them to forget how blessed they are in spite of the fact that their name does not rule all. The fact that humanity doesn't rule all has somehow been made a suffering. It's a grievance for them that they don't have the perspective of heaven. And sure, one can say, well, no, you don't have the perspective of heaven. And if you think that's a legitimate grievance, well, you're going to have to deal with that. But in thinking about that and grieving the fact that your name is not above all, you have forgotten that you have dominion over so many things. And in our world, we often forget how blessed we truly are. We focus on the, the tragedy and we focus on the suffering to the point that we sometimes even forget that there is eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And in spite of all teaching, in spite of all wisdom, oftentimes people reject the truth of the world around them and they would rather live in fantasy. So let's go on to our next section of this because I want us to go back to holiness. And I want to ask the question again, what do we imagine holiness to be? Is holiness something which is what our own name would find it to be? As the builders of the Tower of Babel, their own deception? Do we simply want power? Do we want our name to be revered by all? Do we humble ourselves and recognize that we are God's servants? Or do we elevate ourselves and say, no, we want holiness to be what we want it to be? The great irony of the Tower of Babel is that humanity did not need to make a name for itself. And in our own lives, oftentimes we want to define the holiness of God as what we want it to be. We want to twist God's holiness into a fantasy where we take what would normally be Christianity and we turn it into churchianity. And it's a fantasy version of the church that we really want to live in. Recently in our podcast series, we did a, a, a lesson on games that people play with scripture and a lot of those games are twisting scripture into the fantasy of what they want scripture to be and in our own lives we often find that we so much want the world to be a certain way that we forget to see the beauty of where we're at it's not always difficult and beautiful situations are often tragic sometimes they require a lot of manual labor and hard work Beautiful situations are not always things coming to you on gold and silver platters, but instead a lot of times they are going through life's journey, making difficult decisions, having distinct moments of transformation, rising to the occasion to push back on things that are evil and sinful, and being righteous and just in the world around us. But our lives are so busy that we oftentimes forget that we already have a name made for ourselves, and we lose sight of the kingdom that we are a part of. We lose sight after where we have been placed, and we start to lust after places that we cannot be. The idea that the throne of heaven is an empty seat to be claimed and a flag and name staked on it as whatever victor gets there first is a ludicrous fantasy. And this is not what God wants for us. God does not want us to live in a non-existent fantasy. The holiness of God is a truly beautiful thing, and God's dominion throughout creation it is a beautiful thing. But the servants of the master of the universe find that they will have more power than those who are kings of Neverland. And as servants of the master of the universe, the true master of the universe, not the ones over there in Neverland or the places where we cannot reach, 
we find that we really are given more ability, ironically more power than if we just wanted to be a king or queen of Neverland. Whenever we forget to be grateful for the beauty around us, the temptation comes to consume us to live in a different world than our own. The builders of the Tower of Babel, they rejected the truth of the world and they wanted to live in fantasy. They used inadequate resources. Again, they got this bitumen, they've got mortar. These are actually good building materials, but they're not good for building towers. And stones and things of that nature is pretty good for building towers. But they've invested a lot of time and money in an unreachable goal. It's one of the things that you've got to learn from this is they, they spent all their time, their money. It was a big investment. They dedicated their lives to this. Instead of living their lives as God would have wanted humans to live, they spent it all trying to reach a fantasy. And they cut themselves off from the beautiful aspects of the world. Anthony. I think that's a pretty good point. And um, because whenever I read this the first time, I just thought, okay, they're like Cain and they're making a very, very bland sacrifice. Or they're just purposefully thinking that they can get away with building a tower to heaven using insufficient resources. But I do think it's more likely that they are actually making a big investment, like you said, and that they really believe that the um, brig and bitumen will be enough to reach heaven. And I think that is a lot more reflective also of the nature of humanity, especially um, I think you can see this very much so in our generation. One of my high school teachers once said that um, it's not that our generation, mine and yours, millennials, don't have goals. It's just that oftentimes we don't know how to go about achieving them. The steps it takes to get to our goals, we are totally disconnected from oftentimes. And that's an observation that he made. And I think it's pretty true. And I think you can see that really well here in the nature of humanity in the story of the Tower of Babel. Yeah, and on top of that is a lot of people do have goals that are fantasies rather than realities. And they think what my immediate person wants to be right now is who I'm actually needing to be. And they forget that a lot of times in life, there are things more fulfilling than living out that instant desire. Actually grappling with the truth that there's something that you dislike about your life, embracing that, overcoming that, is a lot more fulfilling than just telling the whole world, well, no, I'm going to pretend that this aspect of life is not as it is, and you must bow down before it. It's sort of like being in the valley of the shadow of death and saying, well, there is no darkness here. I, I have decided, I have identified that there is a light here, and anyone who tells me there is darkness here, then you are wrong. And, and it's sort of this, this crazy amount of logic that says, if you feel like the world is a different way, then you can just pretend that it's that way and demand everyone go along with you. It's very, very tragic because it's, it's ultimately, it's not fulfilling, it's not satisfying. There's no hope in that. You're investing resources in something that can never be. And we do this a lot in the church. We find that this happens a lot of different ways. Um, not always do people do it intentionally. Again, not always are people self-aware of doing this, but it's a, a tragic trap. And we must know that there really is a throne in heaven and is occupied by, by God the Father. The holiness of God, it is decided by God, not by our own disposition of it. And we should reach to that. We should find hope in that. We should be reminded that we don't have to make a name for ourselves on this earth because God already gave us a name. And that doesn't mean that we sit idle and say, well, I don't have to do anything in life. 
Because again, that's part of their fantasy too. I, I don't want to go out. That's being scattered. You can almost hear sort of the twisting of words. It's being scattered to go out and live a life. No, God calls us be fruitful, be multiplying, go out, have dominion, go go find a home for yourself, leave the house of your father, go, go get married, go have children, take on your father's business, take on the wisdom of your mother, pass it down to the next generation, live a life that is fulfilling, be constructive, use your mind. Humility is not something which says, oh, I just bow down and, and I, I spend my time hiding and cowering. Humility is saying, I recognize that I am a servant. I am not the master of the universe, but I do have dominion over the earth. God called us to be kings and queens. I must be constructive. I must maintain the order of God. Again, being kings and queens of the earth does not mean that we're tyrants, people enforcing our own will. Because kings and queens of the earth are not masters of the universe. They are not people who rule over heaven and earth. They still are accountable to God. The position humanity has is a beautiful and powerful one to have dominion, to do beautiful, magnificent things. Make giant works of architecture. Reach towards the heavens. But do it because you are honoring God and you are a servant to God. Not because you are wanting to rework the earth, to create a new name for yourself, to, to cast away your own history, to denounce it all and say, well, everything before me was wicked. Everything that is not my desire is wicked. And I get to decide what is good. Don't do those things. Embrace the truth of God. Embrace the truth of reality. Rise up. And many of you are, are doing that, but I just want to, to I don't want to feel like I'm the, the hellfire brimstone preacher over here slapping people with the Bible. But it is something which is present in our world. And when people get so invested in a fantasy, we as the church, we must step in to help people rise out of that because we love them and we want people to reach a new level of life. Anthony? I don't think you sound uh, brimstone and fire. But I will say that, um, and something that we should really consider while trying to do that for people is that a lot of people will see the, um, you know, being fruitful and spreading over the earth as a scattering. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people will misinterpret things like that in their own personal lives. And I think this story really well embodies um, that nature of humanity, our very... Uh, you know, um, just how good can sometimes be imperceivable to us as humanity. Well, it, it does result in being scattered. But the call to life, the call to adventure is not being scattered. And they kind of conflate a negative, undesirable thing with something which is desirable. And in doing that, well, you end up with the thing you were trying to avoid. And it's, it's very tragic. Well, with that, God calls us to be holy and not the artificial holiness of a fantasy. So... Um, my prayers for you all is that we will be convicted, that the Holy Spirit will come sanctify us, make us more and more into Christ-likeness, that that work of grace will come in our lives and that we will be people truly not living in fantasy, but living in the real holiness which God has called us to, which has an eternal hope beyond the scope of this earth. Because God is the master of the universe and he sent his only begotten son that we should be saved and have an eternal hope and the Holy Spirit to come and sanctify us. With that, any final thoughts, Anthony? All right, God love you and have a blessed day.